You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com. Meat and 3 is Heritage Radio Network's weekly food news roundup. This week on Meat and 3, we're bringing you highlights from Feast Portland, like our chat with the one and only Andrew Zimmern. I'm super excited to be here because for people who do what I do for a living, we do tons of, you know, desk side chats and podcasts and interviews and stuff like that. And you circle the handful of ones in a year where you get to talk with people that you're really excited about talking with. So this is this is awesome. We picked up on some recurring themes while talking to our impressive roster of guests, including the current state of Portland's food scene, personal identity, and believe it or not, the influence of great chefs' grandmothers. Mima never touched a drop of booze in her life and now has a distillery named after her. But I grew up in her garden and just really, she taught me all good things come from scratch and women can be anyone they want to be. So tune in for this week's extra special episode. Subscribe to Meet in 3 wherever you get your podcasts. Good evening and welcome to Men About it. it on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We're here in the brewery at the Fifth Hammer Brewing Company. My name is Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Isaac. <laughs> and we're your co-hosts on this weekly journey through all things fermented. Uh, yes, on Thursday, it's here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Anyway, we're here at the brewery. We're doing an off-site recording today with an, a really dear old friend. Really happy to have you in town, Molly Browning. Hi! Welcome! Yay, so happy to be here. I love your brewery. Nah, I'm going to live here. So. <laughs> Too nice. Uh, we've known you since you you came to New York City and you worked with Brooklyn Brewery, but you have right. a history prior to that. And let's tell us a little bit about, about your brewing, your life in beer. Life in yeah. beer. Yeah, so it started like 2006 when I was in Japan, and I kind of went up to Brian Baird and kind of poked him on the shoulder and was like, I want you to teach me how to brew beer. And this is when he opened up his uh, production facility. And he kind of laughed at me. And I came back a couple days later. I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, please like teach me and at the time I was thinking I wanted to have an MBA in brewing which Harry Watt offered but I didn't know anything about brewing I just knew I liked beer so well, I thought I should learn how to brew so you don't sound Japanese what, what were you doing in Japan I, I, was, I was I was teaching English and okay. uh yeah I was teaching English I had been to Japan uh like four years before with a study group from my college met some friends and my one of my oldest friends Seiko and I still kept in touch with her, and I was like, no, I'm going to come back, I'm going to come back. And after grad school in the UK, I was like, no, I, this is what I want to do. I want to go back, teach English, and kind of figure out what to do next. And she happened to be living in Tokyo. And, yeah, I ended up teaching English in Chiba, really close by. So we kind of went on this spiritual beer lover's journey in Japan, and... I just came back from Japan earlier this week, and we were actually at the original place, the original pub Popeye, where we met uh, a lot of beer people. And the owner recognized us and gave us our 10-year black card. <laughs> so we are black card members, whatever that means. <laughs> no idea. But, um, yeah. So, no, I, Brian uh, hired me on as an apprentice, and I passed his test, I guess. And stayed there for two and a half years. Um, he taught me how to brew. He has a very specific vision and passion, which I really appreciated. Um, and then I went to Jolly because uh, I wanted to learn how to do barrels. Jolly, Jolly Pumpkin. Thank Sorry. <laughs> and we met you in Brooklyn when you were still working for Baird, I think, or maybe you were yes. like in between. Yeah, so. yeah. I I came back. It was like right when Baird started exporting with the Shelton Brothers. Yep. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> Wow. So long ago. So, yeah, so long ago. So put this in perspective. What what year is that for for Japan? So the, the craft beer scene has changed quite a bit. It has. You see a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, what year? I was there 2006, and I left in 2000 and at the end of 2008. Okay. And yeah. Baird was doing some pretty awesome, like more much more forward kind of flavors right. than 
than, than we normal. Yeah. yeah, they were, and they, and they still are. Um, but it was they were really pushing the boundaries with fruit, with particular Japanese fruit. Like I never brewed with yuzu before. That was the first time we I brewed with yuzu. And when we were doing the yuzu beer, I like looked at Brian. I was really grumpy. I was like, this tastes like lemonade. It's gonna be awful. <laughs> and when we put it on tap, I he was like, try it, try it. And I was like, fine. It's gonna taste awful. I'm not gonna like this. And when I tried it, it was like. I, I can't say anything. I shut my mouth. It was like the best beer I've ever tasted. <laughs> so I was like, clearly, I know nothing. Um, but yeah, they were they're all their beers bottle conditioned, all their uh, in keg conditioned. So it was a lot of old school techniques. And then when I went to Jolly, it was barrels. And then I uh, went to New Holland, and that's where I kind of honed. Which I mean, it was really great. But that's where I learned, you know, cold side operations like filtration and. All this other stuff, so it was it was really, like really good. So yeah, back to New Holland. So you learned like the cold side of things, the cold so side fermentation, of things. cellaring, yeah, filtering, and, all yeah. that kind of stuff. It, yep. And it was at the time that they were expanding their dragon milk program, and we uh, dragon, wait, remind dragon milk's a it's a bourbon barrel aged imperial okay. stout around eleven okay. percent. Um, they use like first and second use barrels, um, and we. So we were expanding that program from, they used to do like 100 barrels um, a year to do 400 barrels a year, and now it's gone crazy. But I was there when we were designing uh, the new uh, barrel aging room, so it was a 6,000 square foot room wow. specifically for milk, and to the side we had our sour barrels. Um, now they have like, it's just exploded. But So I was there during that, and then I left to go to Harriet Watt, because I was like, I want to go back to England or the UK. So talk about Harriet Watt for those yeah. people that might not be familiar with. Harriet Watt is a it's a school outside of Edinburgh in the UK, and it's a it's an it's one of the historic old brewing schools. So you have like Wise Stefan uh, and Harriet Watt, and there's a couple other now, there's a lot more now, but these were the two that were historically uh, you could go and get. Uh, a degree that was certified by a university. Okay, cool. So you could get a bachelor's, you can get your master's, specifically at Harry Watt, you could get a master's in brewing, so that's what I went for. And it's, because it's in Scotland, they pull a lot from the distilling world as well, so it's a master's in brewing and distilling. Oh, awesome, cool. Which, distilling, I'm still like, not <laughs> all of that. I know how to do it, I think, but it's <laughs> a lot more science and a lot more technical than to be than brewing is right um and you'd had all that experience and you've had a ton more, of experience in brewing so right yeah, yeah yeah um but no it, it was really good it was really good to be part of, or to see the uk brewing scene um go into europe and see the the brewing scene over there and i had interviewed prior to leaving or prior to going to harriet watt i'd interviewed at brooklyn because i was like oh i don't know if i want to go to harriet watt if i want to go move somewhere else um, so Garrett knew me and I had like the best interview with Garrett. It was like very relaxing. It was like pretty much a full day. Uh, it was at the time where he was still personally interviewing candidates. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was like, I was serious about the interview, but I also wasn't like, I, I still was like, Oh, I don't know if I really want to work here. So they had offered me a job, but I decided to go to Harriet Watt. And so he knew me. So when, I was still in Scotland. He, I think he had come over, and I just got in touch with him saying, hey, you know, you probably don't remember me, but I'm here. I just wanted to say hi, see you in Edinburgh. We couldn't meet up, but he, I think that triggered in his mind, well, we're actually expanding our bail program at, Bro at Brooklyn. Would you like to come on and take that over? So after I went to Harriet Watt, that's how the Brooklyn, like, barrel managing program yes. came to came to happen yeah and that yeah. so and that's kind of when we got to know you right. a little bit better yeah you know we're here in brooklyn as well so you did a lot of fun stuff at brooklyn and brooklyn's barrel aging program is really is quite sizable now it is sizable yeah it's sizable and there's a lot of stuff that i didn't really know and understand that garrett was throwing at me a lot of it based on natural leaves like mm -hmm. so like wine leaves cider leaves sake leaves so, and and tell what leaves are just so. Well, for those okay. Who might not know. In my, uh, you guys could probably like probably understand more of this than I do. Uh, it's like it's like the dregs from the after fermentation, correct? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So we can it, add some 
flavor and character right to but, here. Yeah, but if the natural bit is the important bit, and that's the thing that I kind of understood, but not really, mm-hmm. I don't think. Yeah. Um, it was, they're unsulfated, so they're unpreserved. So it's kind of like you're doing a lambic or a goose style like the the bugs that are coming for coming in for that ferment the wine or cider mm-hmm. or whatever are still around too. Yeah, are, so so yeah it's in there. yeast and bacteria yeah. as well as flavors from right. the ferment from yeah. the, the liquid yeah whatever yeah it might so be. it can be very changeable so right now Brooklyn has if you go to their tasting room they have Serpent which is the collaboration we did with uh, Thornbridge Brewing over in the UK and that's done with natural cider leaves from Tom Oliver's uh, cidery awesome. and Tom Tom Oliver is it killer cider maker yeah. in yeah. the UK. So. Yeah. They were like day glow orange. <laughs> Something that I'd never thought. It was like, what are we pouring in these color? barrels? What's happening? But yeah, it was it was uh, a beer kind of based loosely on local one with Tom Oliver's cider. And then we sent over uh, first use uh, four roses barrels. Awesome. Um, that, yeah, that we aged the beer in for like a year. And then we went over a couple times the last time we went over there Garrett was just we were active in just blending and it was like all night blending sessions all night packaging sessions uh, but it was it was a lot of fun to do cool yeah so talk about because you guys you did a lot of ghost bottles while you were there yeah yeah he, well and it was really cool like I think he kind of he never specifically said do ghost bottles it was more of a hey please forgive me um, I see this nobody's kind of working on this uh, I was always tasked to do the BQE so black ops uh, like the bigger bottle releases and then the ghost bottle stuff was like the natural wine leaves kind of kicked that off and then I just started playing around with barrels Garrett was really good he would go down to Mexico and kiss babies and shake hands <laughs> to procure really rare mezcal barrels yes. <laughs> so that was really fun to play with and I started throwing in stuff there like first he was like okay I want you to put local one in this mezcal barrel but then after that it became a second use barrel and I could, I just started playing around with that, started playing around with a lot of the wine barrels we would get in, um, adding different fruits, adding different spices. Uh, around the holidays, started to do like a holiday beer for the company. Um, so one, like one wine barrel would produce like 200 or so, 750 bottles, 750 mil bottles. So I would just hand one out to all the company, the, all the employees at the holiday party. Um, yeah, it was just stuff like that through gummy bears, I guess. Yes, like, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go, tell, talk about what ghost bottles are. It's So it's it's Brooklyn's, it's Garrett's term. It's a beer that really just doesn't exist. We don't, they don't sell it uh, unless you happen to be like a very close friend of Garrett. You usually can't find them on the market. It's like you have to know people to know people to actually taste one. So they do a lot of ghost bottle nights, but it's stuff that, you know, you can't, purchase yeah so they may come into uh, a full production brew like we did I did a beer with Kiwis which later has become Kiwis Playhouse yes so the, the first iteration of that was me uh, putting Kiwis into the barrel which I think uh, Eric who is uh, Brown who's now taking over their program he is really cursing my name <laughs> for all the amount of Kiwis he had to peel to put into barrels. Um, but yeah, so... It, that is it, a beautiful beer, though. It, it is a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, but he is cursing my name. Um, but yeah, it was, it was. it's just beers that don't exist that could you might find once, but they won't come back, okay. if ever. Yeah. And so then you're originally from North Carolina. I'm originally we I'm originally from Florida. Okay. But my family is all down south. So okay. it was when I was at Brooklyn, like I love like now I'm like, oh I can move back here. This would be great. <laughs> um No, I re- I really love the company. Um I really love uh yeah, the people I was working with. It was just the big city. I was like, Okay, I think I need to go back home. I need to be closer <laughs> to my parents, um, closer to my sisters. So I went and uh was looking for jobs in North Carolina, so I was hired at Trophy Brewing to be their um, operations manager. And so where's, tro- where's Trophy again? They're in Raleigh, okay. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the Triangle region, and then I was I was doing that for a couple years. Then looking at my work life balance and 
just decided to maybe go to the dark side. I don't know, but it's, <laughs> it's fun. Uh, so now what you're currently... Right. I'm at Lalamon Brewing, which is uh, a yeast company. This is not the dark side. This is awesome. Yeah. yeah, we were very excited because we knew Molly when she was here at Brooklyn. Then we hadn't seen you for a while when you were with Trophy. Right. And then we ran in. Yo, maybe you were up here. I was. I, I, I was ran into you somewhere else. I was up here. Well, I think Andy was doing his cheese night, and oh, I yes. know Andy. And he was like, "Come to Fifth Hammer." And I was like, "Great!" I haven't seen. I haven't been by. I haven't seen Mary and Chris in a while. Uh, but I was actually at your guys's epic wedding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good times. So good times. It was such. Uh, it was like the most beautiful, beautiful event ever. Um, but no, I was like, "Yeah, no, I, I, I want to go see their new place." So that, yeah, that was the last time I was here. Like, we went up to, like, the Boston area, then I came back down and was like, no, I want to go to New, do New York and see everybody, so. Well, it wasn't long after we opened, and one of my favorite saison yeast is that Bell saison yeast. Yeah. It wasn't long after we opened, that, or my, maybe my second order, you were yeah. already, already CC'd, and I was like, wow, okay, here we go. Yeah, 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 what, what, what's so going on here? Now you are my, you are my, my yeast dealer for, for this. I am your um, yeast dealer. And today is a pretty special day, because we're actually, right now, as we speak, we're brewing. We're actually transferring a beer from, from the mash tun to the, to the uh, kettle. We're doing a, a sour or kettle sour and uh, we're going to pitch your sour pitch so tell us about the sour the wild brew sour pitch yeah it, we started with this product I think last year it's a lacto plantarum strain uh, but it's really unusual in that it's um, it gives a really nice citrusy characteristic to the beer um, and we were actually me and my boss were in Japan uh, a couple weeks ago and we got a really great question from a brewer going what causes that citrus flavor and I was like, you know, I we don't I don't know like the specific gene or uh, characteristic that causes that citrus flavor, but we do know it has. It's a great strain in the fact that it has a high level of lactic acid production, a low level of acetic production, but a relatively high level of glycerol production. So it it allows for a great body. So you can use it in a. It's purposely meant for a kettle sour, but you can use it as like a Berliner. It creates great bases, as you guys know. I'm drinking yeah. pineapple yeah. with it so now. This is, yeah, this is our second beer that we've done. No, third beer we've done with it, actually. Um, and what you're drinking right now is a, basically a Berliner rice kettle sour kind of base blended with pineapple and sea salt, and it lends itself really well to fruit additions. Like yeah. The dance of that, of that citrus meat notes on it is really cool. And it, and it gets... It gets uh, to a lower pH pretty fast. It's yeah. pretty effective. That's the other thing. It's really consistent. Uh, I know a number of breweries, even when I was at Trophy, we were doing a lot of um, kettle sours with the yogurt and things like that. I never really liked the flavor, and I personally was struggling with time and temperature. And the thing that really surprised me about this strain is that you actually... When you throw it into your kettle to sour, you you should keep it at like a lower temperature, like 86, 90 degree F, and that's really unusual, I think, uh, for for a strain of lacto. Uh, but yeah, it produces these great flavors and it's really consistent. So you, it's a pretty bankable right, strain. Right now, so this is a dry pitch. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting. We're sitting here looking at the pitch that Chris is going to add to our kettle shortly. Yeah. Uh, 250 grams. Hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Maybe so what? Yeah. What is the pitch rate? Do you? And let me ask this. Do you also sell this in homebrew? We do. I was. Well? I was okay, about cool. to say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the pitch rate is actually quite low. Uh, if you look between a pitch rate for yeast versus our bacteria strain. So for bacteria. We recommend 10 grams per hectoliter. So it's really minuscule. And because of that, and because it's so easy to use, we do offer it in homebrew uh, sachets, sachets um, 10 gram sachets. And you can order it through us directly. I think with the homebrew side of things, you can also, those will be, I mean, the, the sachets you can order through us directly, but I also think you can get them through Country Mall and more beer, maybe. Um, so some of the homebrew sites. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, but it is, we do want people, like, to try it out, to test it, to homebrew with it. Um, we're really, we're really excited about it. And we actually just brought on a new team member. Uh, she's going to be from Rocky Mountain District, but also focus on homebrew side of things. Uh, she used to work for the BA named Erin, so we're really happy ah. to, yeah. we're Wait, really is Erin Glass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cool. oh, yeah, I knew that, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so, yeah, I met her for the first time. I just got back from GABF, uh, so I met her for the first time uh, th this past awesome. week. Yeah. So, yeah. really quickly, uh, can you run us through what you, how you would do a kettle sour with this? Like, just from, from like, are you, are you, would you hydrate this? Would you, yeah. would you pasteurize your, would you bring to a boil? Would you pasteurize like, those are, do the Molly Browning kettle sour? <laughs> using, using those are, sour, I want to hear the couscous. <laughs> no, it's really simple. Like, you would brew like you normally would. Uh, we recommend like when you get when you get to kettle full uh, after you lauder, maybe boil it boil it for like ten minutes just to like make sure there's no other bugs. Run it through your heat exchanger to cool it down to an appropriate temperature, and then you can either run it temperature being being like ninety degrees out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So around there, run it back to your kettle or to another tank that you can, that is a souring tank, that is a dedicated souring tank that is able to keep a temperature. Uh, per, well, purge your, uh, purge your kettle or your souring tank, so just to make sure there's no, like, no, uh, like, acetobacter or no uh, more uh, come in. <laughs> and then add, yeah, just directly pitch in the sour pitch, keep it. Uh, you should see acidification and activity in less in like 24 hours, sometimes a lot less. Um, so you're saying pitch in just straight dry, not yeah, hydrate. Yeah, yeah, you don't need to hydrate it. Keep it really simple. And I, for a lot of our yeast too, I just I recommend don't hydrating, mm -hmm. like unless you are stressing the yeast out in some way where if you're under pitching or if it's a high gravity brew. But apart from that, I would just recommend throwing it straight in. Keep it really simple. Keep it really clean. Um, but yeah, with the, the sour pitch, you should see your pH drop to appropriate level. And it depends on where, what you want to brew, really. So you, if you're looking at your pH and you're saying, oh, I really like what it's tasting at 3.5, I'm going to kill it here. Just bring it up to a boil and you're done. Yeah. Yeah, at hot. Would you whatever. pre-acidify? Uh, I, so you don't have to. Uh, but you can definitely get a, to a quicker acidification level if you do, to like pre-acidification to like 4.9 or something like that. Right. Yeah, but you can, but you don't really have to. But do you guys pre-acidify? I do. Yeah. I go down to 4.6 just to, in case. Yeah. Uh, and you know, how do you pre-acidify? Yeah. I pre-acidify with lactic acid, uh, liquid lac lactic acid, and that, mm -hmm. you know, basically for my dosage rates, it's like I think. Uh, coming down from 5.5 to 4.6 ends up being 500 uh, milliliters for a 15 barrel batch. So yeah, it's not a huge amount. 15 barrel batch. That's yeah, right. a lot of liquid. So yeah, it's a lot over, of Don't put 500 milliliters. No, yeah, yeah, yeah don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and you could also use acidulated malt. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, you can. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, so let's talk about. Can you talk about what else is new at Lalamond or maybe coming yeah. down the pipeline? So we are uh, gonna bring out a new bacteria strain this year and we are running trials on a new yeast strain um, for next year, probably uh, first quarter of next year will come out. But the new, and the yeast strain will be similar to, uh, so we came out with a New England style of uh, yeast last year. It'll be a similar- uh, Like a New England IPA kind of? Yeah, it'll yep. be a similar uh, kind of yeast, um, like a style specific strain. A yeast style specific strain. So, for example, like a Kolsch style specific strain. Okay. Cool. Uh, that, that you're able to do on like multiple levels. Uh, so, like the New England, coincidentally, it produces great New England IPAs, but the 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 characters are that it uh, that it uh, offers also make good Kolsches. Cool. So there's a, it's a there's a lot of flexibility in the in the strain, even if it's that style specific. But yeah, the new uh, bacteria strain that will be out this year will, just, uh, will be another lacto strain. Cool. Yeah. And what? Yeah, let's talk about the New England style strain. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a giant yeast strain. Oh. Uh, we do a lot of tests on it, um, but it it makes really great New England IPAs. It's a little bit of a slow starter, but that's consistent with the style, um, and it. Ha it just produces a lot of like mango and tropical fruit. I think I believe you guys have trialed it. We have it. So a tale of the comet out there is that we did hop it with uh, with uh, a lot of West Coast hops. So we kind of did a hybrid on that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. we actually. Well, you made a West Coast Imperial IPA. Okay, with, with that, that New England. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. Like we got so the fruity characters, but yeah, they're kind of the, yeah. Yeah, but it's a clear. It's clear. It's, what is it? Eight six alcohol. Well, I did use Biofine. I cheated on that one. Well, and I mean that's like I mean I think the New England style category. It's a very not divisive issue, but it, 
like, you know, it was one of the reasons why at this past brewing summit, uh, it was that's a conference between the Master Brewers Association and the American Society of Brewing Chemists. Um, I moderated a, a hot talk with Dr. Shellhammer from OSU, Dr. Sharp from Ninkazi, and Joe Mashburn, who's the head brewer at Night Shift. And I just wanted them to have a conversation on this style and late hopping and, mm-hmm. you know, the, the causes and effects. And I asked Dr. Shellhammer, I was like, does haze equal aromatics? And he's like, no, there's no... There's no correlation there. It's more of a the style, and I think what a lot of people get confused about is the the proteins and the malt, and to the polyphenols and the hops create a body. And when you're adding it, when you're adding those hops really early, you're getting a lot of CO2 stripping from fermentation, but you're also getting a softer uh, bitterness. So it's it's a it's a balance issue. Yeah. Um, and with our strain, it contributes that. Uh, that really tropical fruit, kind of stone fruit aromatics that lend well to that late hopping or early hopping, like late hopping in the whirlpool, early hopping and fermentation, dry hopping. Yep. So makes sense. Yeah. And then, oh, I gotta ask. So you're in Raleigh. Yes. So talk about the beer scene in Raleigh. What's kind of, what's kind of your favorite stuff for it, somebody that doesn't, you know, yeah. get out of New York very often. Yeah. It's, <laughs> well, North Carolina is kind of funny. So you have pockets. Uh, we were talking about this earlier. So Asheville, of course, is a pocket. Charlotte, there's a number of breweries. And then Raleigh, you have Raleigh. It's called the Triangle Area. So you have Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, Cary. Which I guess is four. I never understood. I never understood the triangle. It's thing. a triangle with an extra little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but so there's a number of breweries uh, there, and a lot. I mean, a lot are doing like that New England style, or um, a lot are doing sours. I personally um, am advocating for more lager production. <laughs> so Oktoberfest season is here. It's like one of my favorite styles of beer. Um, so I'm I'm super happy. But it's, uh, uh, because North Carolina, you can self-distribute, breweries can self-distribute as you can here in New York, you see a lot of brewers, you need a can, uh, and you need to have some draft, but a lot are pushing not just to serve in their tap room, but also in other places. Um, But I think this, I personally would like to see, uh, like, styles emerge from the south that are kind of like you guys are taking like a style of beer and not manipulating but like creating your own style I would like to see that done in the south and I think very few breweries are doing that I don't know if they are it's it just needs to become more of a movement yeah yeah Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad that you dropped by today. Thank you it was so much so for having me. We're super Lallemand, excited Lallemand. About, yeah. Yeah, about using this wild brew sour pitch from Lalaman. So, yeah, man. Thank you so much. I love this brewery. So, and <laughs> I, yeah, it is, uh, it is really a true pleasure, especially to have you sitting here drinking. Yeah, beer yeah, no, this that is we like, made. Yes. we've drank a lot of amazing beer that Molly has helped to produce at Brook, specifically at Brooklyn, because um, we would, you know, we were friends with a lot of people, so we yeah. would kind of get those ghost bottles, like yeah, yeah, yeah. At some brewery parties and stuff, and so it's a true pleasure to have. Absolutely, no, it's a true pleasure to be here, and I am like trying to see how many of these cans I can squirrel away. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. And we will check back in with you. Yeah. Uh, we'd love to check back in with you periodically uh, when Absolutely. you guys have new stuff coming out or just fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. We, we are always looking for a breeze to, like, just trial stuff, be, like, give us feedback. So we... Uh, we're really, I think we're really cool in that sense of, yeah, I'm a sales manager, but really I'm just here for technical support and to be like, here, try this new interesting strain and tell us what you think. Like, you know, we want, we want us all to be like just friends and like share information and have fun. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Cheers. Yeah. I'm cheers. Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth is in its 25th year of making specialty cheese in the rolling hills of southern Wisconsin. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning alpine-style cheeses under the name Grand Cru. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise and affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cru Sirchois was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. 
For more information, visit rothcheese.com. So we are here in the brewery side of Fifth Hammer Brewery with John LaPala, co-owner of Bitter and Esters. It's a homebrew store in Prospect Heights, Brooklyn. He's been on the show before. So welcome back, John. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for being here. So tell us why you're here, first of all. We're here for our uh, fall bike ride. So uh, every spring and every fall, we do a bike ride to a brewery that we brewed a beer with. Uh, this time we brewed a beer with Fifth Hammer. I know, don't know if you ever heard of them. <laughs> who, is, who is we? Uh, me. No. Uh, <laughs> Bitter Nesters and the Bruminaries Homebrew Club. Cool. Uh, we brewed an uh, Australian sparkling ale. Uh, called, is that what you're drinking now? Yeah, Where's the Serenity? How's right? the Serenity? How's the Serenity? How's the I serenity? never saw the movie. What's the movie how's called? How's the Serenity? So, How's the Serenity? So, the name game is always tricky. We always have this back and forth about how to, you know, deciding how to name our beers, even just between, like, the three primaries of Fifth Hammer. I don't know but why then you add fun things, right? <laughs> no, but, you know, so beer naming is hard, right? So, we toss a bunch <laughs> of names around. We actually have a couple people from Australia that are part of the Bruminaries that help right. brew the beer. Which is so, why we went with the style of beer. Yeah. So, How's the Serenity? comes from a movie. It's a cult, cult Australian movie called The Castle. And uh, I have actually not seen the movie either, but I did watch the clips on I saw, YouTube. I saw the clip yeah, of that yeah. part, and it looks funny. I want to see the movie. Yeah, me the, too. Me too, man. The beer is fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, the beer came out great. And uh, so we we do a bike ride to and the brewery, and then these breweries in New York City tend to uh, be clustered together because, of, I guess, because of... Um, Zoning laws, yeah. right? Zoning and, so, and real estate. Yeah, zoning and real estate. So we're in Long Island City. It's our first stop. Uh, we'll probably spend the most time here, and then we're going to go to Rockaway Brewing, uh, hopefully Big Alice Brewing. Alewife asked us to stop by. I want to go to Iconic and uh, Long Island City Beer Project. It's a lot of drinking and biking, so we'll see. Although Usually have, we lose people during the yeah. uh, during the ride. Although you have some people here from that are on foot or that took the public yeah, transportation yeah. are on foot too. But we had uh, eight people leave from the store from Bitter and Esther's who come here, so it's it's awesome. It's a I'm I'm working right now. So Bitter, so Bitter <laughs> Nesters, uh, you I saw recently that you're at your homebrew swap. You brought back the cup. We brought back the cup. What is the cup? So the cup um, is whoever we feel. And has, what is the swap? Okay, so the beer swap we do at Bitter and Esther's every first Wednesday. Uh, it's something we've been doing for seven years. And it's just a, a way of homebrewers to come together and share beer and, and meet each other. It's how the brewery started was through the Bitter and Esther's uh, swap. And so it's, a, it's always been kind of fun and loose. And we used to give away one of our pint glasses to the person that we thought uh, made the best beer. But we used to do it by pointing at somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and so... I screwed that up a couple of times with the, the pointing. Everyone's like, I'm like, who, who are you pointing at? And so I kind of stopped it because I felt that it shouldn't be a competition. We have a lot of new brewers yeah. coming in. And so I didn't want uh, it to be a competition. But Dave Kareko, uh, who's very convincing in his arguments, <laughs> uh, the owner of Arcane Distill Distilling, said, uh, you know, we can do this better. He really was like, we really can do this. And so now we do it differently by having people nominate somebody, uh, whoever they think had good beer. And then I put my hand over him like first grade and uh, everyone raises their hand as to who they think was best. So the, the, we have nominees first. And so far we've done it twice. It's been really good. You know, I just, I don't want to exclude anybody. Right. A lot of people are, are new brewers. So I don't want them to think that they they can't compete against some of these brewers that come to my swap that are amazing and been brewing forever. So, so far, so good. But I, I you know, I get the final say. So. But and still, everybody learns something at the swap. They do. They learn something, yeah. and uh, they all wanted the cup. So by, so they wanted it because they they want some sort of recognition for what they're doing. Right. So that's kind of fun. I think it's probably good for the new brewers. It's like an inspiration, right? It is an, an inspiration. inspiration. One day I'll and win aspiration. the cup. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One day. So, so now that Chris and I own Fifth Hammer, we're not homebrewing anymore. Uh, I mean, we're still making At beer. All? No. That's terrible. Uh, I have made some cider, but okay. yeah. But we've been really busy. So I feel like we're, we've, we're learning a ton about commercial brewing, but let's talk about what's going on in the homebrew world. So. Well, um, the the big new beer that everyone's making is the um, the Brute IPAs, the San Francisco. What a coincidence! Style. That's yeah. also hot in the commercial brewing it's world too. Yeah. You know, it's a really good beer. I, I so I was like, "What is this thing?" I've never I never had one, so I just kind of found some recipes online, and we made one called uh, A2 Brute, and it is uh, what I did 
well, what a brewed IPA is, is just a basic IPA grist, but a uh, lower uh, gravity. And I don't know if this is why they did this, but with, with the lower gravity, you would add an um, enzyme, a glucoamylase enzyme, to break down all the dextrins and any non-fermentables into glucose. So I think they did it so that they could take a low-gravity grist and make a high-alcohol beer. So it's less money with the grist, and you have a nice dry brute beer. I don't know if, that, if that's the history of it, but it seems to make sense from a um, commercial point of view. So you're able to get more fermentable sugar with less starting material. Right, so it's a lower money for more alcohol. And it makes a nice dry beer, and then uh, we just kind of late hopped it with um, Nelson Sauvine and um, uh, Halotel Blanc, because I wanted it to be like wine. And so has, uh, ours has a, a nice grape aroma and very dry finish. And it's a, it's a real drinker beer. Do you beer. still have some around? Yeah, yeah, we have it at the store. If so you if want I to come, come on next Wednesday, if I it's this next Wednesday, right? Next is Wednesday the is a swap. Yeah, so right. yeah, yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll, I have to drop by. I, got, I have two of them. I did one where I had the amylase uh, pre-boil. Yep. And then when you boil it, you uh, denature the amylase. Mm -hmm. And then I did one post-boil, and then it never denatured. And the uh, post-boil was a much lower final gravity. It was much drier. Cool. So um, more fermentable sugars. More fermentable sugars. And I, I went to. I've had. I've actually. had uh, fifth hammers. Yep. Uh, what, what do you guys call it? It's kind of funny. It's um, uh, Brute by Menon or something. Brute by Hammer 5. There you go. <laughs> and it's delicious. It's fantastic. And the only other, I had two other ones. One from Canada, uh, which was great. I don't remember the brewery. Uh, and then I was just at Industrial Arts. Yeah. And I had theirs. And it's deceptively drinkable. Yeah. But yeah. they're high alcohol. Yeah, I had two cans. I was like, okay. So yeah, we had the, we've, we've had the Industrial Arts as well. It's It really has a ton of like, juicy New England hop character. Like, if right. you were drinking it blindfolded, you would never... I, I would think that I was drinking a hazy New England-style IPA rather than this clear... Yeah, which that's is great. Kinda, that's kind of nice about it. Yeah, yeah it, uh, it's fun. It's a it fun was, style. It, it's a kind of style that you can do anything with. All you're really doing is messing with the wrist, right? Yeah. You're, and and then all of a sudden you can do whatever you want. I don't think I would make it super bitter, personally. Right. But, right. You know, yeah. you can do what you so want. So when you hopped yours, did you when when do you add all your hop? Do you add any hops at the beginning of the boil? Or are you adding all post boil? I don't remember. Okay. I think it was it was probably late. We'll come back to that. It was it's probably late because yeah. uh, uh, just from from sensory remembrance of the beer, it definitely doesn't have a bitter charge when you're uh, tasting. We might have thrown something. I like IPAs to have a first bitterness, and then the aromatics come. Like I don't love the and completely late hop thing, but. Um, you know, I think I think it should have that balance in the beginning. Yeah. What do I know? So what else is fun at the at the shop? So uh, we've been carrying a lot more Omega yeast. Uh, Omega is a, a great uh, yeast company that they're fairly uh, young, right? They're mm -hmm. about two or three years old, and uh, their pitches are, are uh, 150 billion, which is great. Uh, which is homebrewers notoriously underpitch their yeast, and they've been uh, just having these great strains that. that they have these Norwegian strains. I think it's pronounced Kvik. Yes. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. We call them Kvik. So Chris we, is calling Kvik. Kvik, yeah. We call them Kvik here. We'll have to ask yeah. the Omega guys. So, because we, this is, we did not plan this ahead of time. Coincidentally, we have also started using Omega yeast, um, I guess a couple months ago. And we have, so we're at Fifth Hammer celebrating our first anniversary, our first birthday um, on Saturday, September 29th. And we uh, actually played with all three strains of the Quebec yeast. We're looking at the, they're in small two barrel fermenters. We split up a 15 barrel batch into different fermenters and a barrel um, and added this Quebec yeast. So oddly enough, and then actually I am drinking our newest beer, Three Little Words, which was our first beer that we did with Omega Saison Stein's Monster. Which is also amazing. It's not a blend. It sounds like it would be a blend, but it's actually a, a hybrid. Yep, a genetic uh, hybrid. A genetic hybrid that uh, is just, you throw that into any wart, you're going to have a really nice beer. That's yep. what I like about that. I actually have a, we do a yeast class um, where we do a tasting, and, I, and that beer that was just a pale ale mm -hmm. that we threw that the uh, Saison Stein's Monster in, and it's a, just an amazing beer. It's like, whoa. And this is actually a genetic hybrid between the Belgian and French Saison right. strains of yeast. And as many of you know that have done Saison, so Saisons are really nice to make in the summertime, especially in New York City where we don't have... Most of us don't. Nobody has central AC in New York City. I mean, let's be honest. We have, you know, little window units, but we don't. 
unless you have a dedicated fermentation, uh, you know, converted chest freezer or something, we don't necessarily have much. A lot of homebrewers in New York City don't have much temperature control, and that's true throughout the country, yes. right, and throughout the world. It, so saisons are really nice. Particularly yeah, saisons <laughs> are really nice because you can use the Belgian strain of saison yeast, which ferments up happily up to 95 degrees and produce really nice beers. The only problem is that it oftentimes stalls out yes. before the beer is done. So fermentation slows or stops. Go up to 95 degrees. Right. Yeah. 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 As much as they say that they, they, they know. So I think the saison Stein's monster is really nice because. Actually, I don't know what the temperature tolerance is since we have temperature control here. Um, I think it's like between 70 and 90. Yeah. I, I don't know. We, so we, it's a wide range. It's a wide range. And it, what it does is it gives you the uh, the Belgian um, character, the, uh, the DuPont character, mm-hmm. uh, with the dryness of the French saison. Yeah. So it finishes. Yeah. But I think there's also like a third character to it. That's one thing about it. Uh, I... It's not just like mixing those two yeasts, which is what people used to do. Right. Um, it's, it has a definite third, just beautiful flavor overall that balances out a beer really nice. And that's the nice thing about the uh, Kavik yeasts is that they're also very warm fermenting. They, um, they can go up to 95, almost 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So we started carrying them because the hothead uh, is a fairly neutral yeast that if you have a super hot apartment, it's non-phenolic. So if you don't want to make a phenolic beer like a Saison, you can actually make an IPA or a pale ale or something easier drinking uh, without so much uh, yeast character. So we started carrying that. It was a customer who brought it in. He was like, you have to try this yeast, try this beer. And I was like, whoa. He was like, that was 90 degrees. Um, and it was a pale ale or IPA? It was like an IPA, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was delicious. And then the, the Hornendal and the Voss... Uh, are also non-phenolic, but have a, a great amount of fruit uh, character that comes out, especially if you ferment them warm. Uh, you should read a blog called Lars' blog that talks all about uh, the history of these yeasts. Um, and one of the things that we did, we just recently uh, pitched some for a yeast class, and you're supposed to scream when you pitch a yeast. It's a Norwegian <laughs> tradition. If you go amazing. on our Instagram uh, page, at Bitter and Esters, uh, you see uh, six of us actually screaming at the yeast uh, to scare away the demons that might actually infect the beer. And so we haven't, uh, we haven't packaged a beer yet. I don't know if it worked, but it was certainly cathartic awesome. to scream. But yeah, uh, Omega's really, they're continuing to come out with different strains and to, to search out different strains. There are brewers all over the world and uh, through their um, selective pressure, they have these different strains that, that we, we've, we've forced evolution onto. And I don't think they've all been collected, right? I mean, the other, the other one would be, um, uh, what's, they were on your show, the ones that ask you to send them some oh, strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, bootleg biology. Bootleg biology. Yeah, that, uh, yeah. uh, have they gone commercial? I think so. Yeah, yeah, that would be something else I would like to explore. But Omega's been a, a joy to work with. and. Um, so, yeah, we, we, that's one of the things that we're, we're really happy to be doing. Is to and be what else is, yeast. so we, you mentioned the Quebec strains are popular as well as the Saison Stein's Monster. What else is another? Oh, they uh, have this beautiful lactobacillus blend, uh, which is a, a blend of the Brevis and the Plantarum. And I'm not sure what else, but it's definitely a, a, a couple of blends. And the neat thing about that is if you're doing especially a kettle sour, you don't have to go super hot. You don't have to be 110 degrees and it doesn't take very long either. I did a 90-degree kettle sour. After 24 hours, I checked my pH. It was 3.2. So it dropped right away. But I let it go another 12 hours. It didn't drop anymore. I could have actually boiled at that point. 24 hours for a kettle sour is ridiculously fast. Yeah. Super clean. Um, just a beautiful sour beer. I was able to do whatever I wanted to with it after that point, after I boiled it out. So we sell those like crazy. Grim Brewing comes in uh, and buys a... <laughs> Bags and bags of it, which I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm always happy to see the the, the Grimmies come in. Um, so that you guys use that here also. We or? have, I think we have used that. We're also using this dry pitch from from Lalaman, Lala which Lala. is just the Plantarum. Which I'm excited to to, to get in a homebrew yeah. pitch. Yeah, that's going to be fun too. Yeah, because I mean, dry, you know, I think those are both very good options for kettle souring. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. I think kettle souring is obviously very very common now. It's a really easy, fast, pre- pretty predictable way to yeah. produce. A nice quality. Controllable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A nice quality, you know, Berliner Weiss goes to kind of simple, what I like to call simple sours. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what, how people are able to manipulate the lactobacillus and, and also the end product. There's a lot of, you know, super fruited kettle sours that are on the market. So it's kind Dry of fun hops. to see how they're, yeah, how everything's evolving. Yeah, I am. Um I actually made this as a simple sour. I just wanted a straight sour, my last one I made. And then uh, I've 
I drank about half a keg. And I said, this needs fruit. And I threw in some fruit puree. Yep. And uh, it just changed it completely. So that's a really nice thing. When I first started homebrewing, I started homebrewing in 1992, uh, you would get a, a liquid malt extract that was already hopped with the yeast <laughs> underneath the cap. So I, uh, and it was a dry yeast. It was, was a dry yeast that just old. said yeast. Yeah. yeah, you had no idea. And you didn't even have to boil it. Like, you just kind of reconstituted the <laughs> extract. Pitch your yeast, and then uh, your friends would say, hey, that almost tastes like beer. That's pretty good. And you were happy as long as it wasn't crap. Uh, and it's amazing what these homebrewers are doing and, yeah. and, what, and what they're demanding. Yes. And that's why places like Omega... Well, what's available, says, too, I mean... Well, it's because of the demand. Yeah, yeah. yeah you see, if a company can't sell something, they're not going to be in business, right? So uh, the fact that these homebrewers are, are so savvy and opening breweries, right? I mean, the homebrewers are opening breweries. It's uh, It's been an exciting seven years for me yeah, no <laughs> to see what's, what's happening uh, with Bitter Nest. Awesome. Well, great. thank you so much thank for you, talking Mary. to us. Thank you, Mary. I look forward to, to see you. trying the brew, your brewed IPA in the next week or so. Yeah, well, we should still have it. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> We're still in Fifth Hammer Brewing, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to have you guys introduce yourselves and then talk about what you're doing. Sure. I'm Rachel Zeiss, dictator of the Bruminaries. I'm Ariel Schwartzkinds, and I'm the vice dictator of the Bruminaries, and, and assistant brewer at McKellar. Yes. New York City. Come on. You're bridging both worlds. I love it. Anyway, we're very excited. When did you start at McKellar? I started at McKellar at the end of June, I think June 25th. Um, and I, yeah, we've been working, working hard ever since. Yeah. Anyway, super exciting. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we, we'll talk about that another time. But we're here to talk about, you guys have a big event this weekend. Yes, we do. Uh, this Saturday, September 29th, is uh, the Bruminaries annual fundraising event. Bruminaries Present Local is this year's theme. Uh, it is called Local because we are, we required all of our uh, brewers that they have, they have to use uh, 50% uh, of their grain bill have to be from New York State farms. So we are trying to support New York State agriculture, New York State companies uh, to really show that Bruminaries support local and we are all a part of the local beer community. And uh, that started last year, actually. We started donating money um, back into the local beer community. So last year we donated to uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension um, Hop Farms and uh, that puts money and research into um, local hop growers in New York State. This year we're donating to um, Cornell's, oh gosh, let me read it, Cornell's Small Grains Breeding and Genetics Program, um, which also does uh, does a lot of research into the best, uh, the best way to utilize um, the resources that we have in New York State to grow and produce the best uh, malts for brewing. So that puts um, a lot of money into that and it's fun and exciting and people like New York State uh, Craft Malt 1886 they use these programs to help um, give brewers the best most efficient malts um, so we're excited to, to be a part of that and to give back to the community that we take from it's kind of cyclical what how many how many home brewers are participating this year over 35 about so we have over 35 beers being poured so from one to four at the well uh, you can five. Oh, yes, 1 to 5. <laughs> Ugh, sorry, you got an extra hour. <laughs> from 1 to 5, uh, you can try over 35 beers uh, from all different types of brewers, all different types of beers, BJCP styles, um, and it's a lot of fun um, for everyone. We also have a raffle going on with uh, prizes from New York City local bars and breweries, from Beer Wax and Beer Table to Fifth Hammer, KCBC, McAller, New York City, uh, Bitter Nesters. So all this stuff to again go uh, goes back into the New York State, New York City uh, local community. Cool. Do you got have you guys? Did you have like a session at Bruminaries talking about how to brew, like how to maximize brewing with local ingredients or? Have you guys talked about that at all? We did. We actually have one of our speakers, uh, Ted from New York Craft Malts, come and speak to us earlier uh, in the year about what he does and how he helps uh, farmers uh, ma maximize their results for New York State grains. Um, and then we actually got the grains through him, through Bitter and Esters. Uh, so we made sure that we were supporting him, supporting his farms that he knows best. Um, and it was a lot of it was a lot of trial and error. I it think. Was, yeah, <laughs> and we also um, we had uh, a few brewers that had worked professionally with these grains, like Otto Burkus, who um, did brew at Ryan He's now at Grimm, 
uh, and Jason, who is the owner and head brewer at Strong Up. We just had it, Jason on last week. Oh, there you go. So talking <laughs> about local. There you go. Local um, so they, they've been very helpful in, in talking about how to utilize the grains. And then Ben and I, I think we're one of the, my husband Ben, um, who, who's our science officer, we we were the first ones, and I don't know if about the first, but about the first people yeah. in the club to brew. <laughs> uh, we brewed a Vienna lager and we brewed a Keller beer. And we talked about um, with the, the with the local malts. Local malts. Yep. Um, and we talked about the utilization of that malt and what our results were. And it kind of, I think, helped people um, alter their grain bills and, and their process to, to become more efficient with the, awesome. with the Even a small the little thing of don't brew the same day that you mill, let it sit a day or two. Oh, right. Helped yeah, out. And it, things. It, it exactly. helps everyone plan out their schedule, right. getting to bitter nesters, like during the week as opposed to the morning of your brew day. Right. It makes a big difference. If you have your own mill, being able to adjust the crush, that was also very helpful. Mm -hmm. That's something that um, Ben and I did. We brewed an additional beer um, for the event um, that's essentially a kitchen sink beer with a bunch of miscellaneous malts that Ted brought down for the, the speech that he gave the brewmanaries down in, or back in March. Um, we brewed like a kitchen sink beer with that, and he has a mill at his office because he brews at his office. So we used that mill and we adjusted the crush on that to kind of get better, uh, better utilization of the malts. Was it a finer crush? It was a finer crush, yep. And how about, are you bringing a beer? Yes, uh, my husband, George, and I, we brewed uh, two Kolsch's because we got a few different ideas from a few different people. So we brewed uh, a Kolsch from one set of grains from Bitternesters of a various amounts of grains. And then we also bought grains directly from Jason at Strong Rope of 1886 Pale. So that Kolsch is 100% 1886 Pale. Uh, and we're going to bring both because why not? You could always use more beer. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. So if people want to find information, buy tickets. You can go to bruminaries.com. B-R... Nah, I'm not going to spell it. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's luminaries with brew in the front. Uh, there you go. .com. .com. It's right, uh, right on the homepage where you can buy tickets. We have a Facebook event page uh, where you get all the information, keep up to date with all of our raffle items, etc. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. It's just at bruminaries. And we have the link to buy tickets. Um, the Eventbrite link is in the profile. Um, and it's also a fun place to get, like, you know, keep up to date with what everybody is brewing, some fun photos of, of all of our members brewing the beers, and, and also, like, to just stay up to date on what's happening in the day of. Awesome. So. Right. And we try to, especially with the Facebook page, we try to, again, support New York City beer events, breweries, so we try to keep up to date with all of the local events that are happening. So if you are into beer and you want to know what's going on, that's the place to find it. We collect everything and shoot it out to you. Awesome. Exactly. Well, thank you guys. I'm so glad you stopped by and we yeah. got a chance to talk and I look forward to local. Yeah. Thank, thank you for you having so us. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.